0: Good morning. This morning we've got a couple of guests who are deans of colleges here at Minnesota State University, but also big fans of hockey and have a scholarly interest in a topic that most of you have probably never heard of before. Not hockey, but a particular hockey player named Willie O'Ree. So this morning I have with me the Dean of Arts and Humanities, Chris Brown. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. And the Dean of the College of Social and Behavioral Sciences, Matt Loaiza. Good morning. Good morning. Now you guys have a specific interest in a gentleman named Willie O'Ree and he is a hockey player and I see that Matt has his Bruins tie on so this guy was from the Bruins. Who is Willie O'Ree and why do you feel it's important we talk about him?
1: Willie O'Ree is significant because on Tuesday the 18th last night the Boston Bruins retired his number First and foremost, because on January 18th, 1958, Willie O'Ree stepped on the ice in Montreal against the Montreal Canadiens and became the first black player to play in a National Hockey League game. And that's, I think, first and foremost, a really, really big event. Doesn't get, I think, the publicity it deserves. Boston sports writer, a couple years later, I'm not sure of the date, billed, O'Ree as the Jackie Robinson of hockey. So I think there's that. You know, he does that two-game stint in the 57-58 season. A couple years later, in 60-61, he'll play about 43 games for the Bruins before spending the the rest of a very long and distinguished career in the minor leagues. So that's, I think, the first and foremost significance. And then since the mid-1990s, O'Ree agreed to become a diversity ambassador for the National Hockey League and has done extensive work since that time on numerous diversity initiatives in both the United States, Canada, but he's certainly been, I think, a prominent voice and advocate for diversity in hockey since the mid-1990s.
0: So when somebody's retiring their number, it's because of their significant contributions. Of course, this is Hockey Week, Hockey Day here in Mankato, so I think it's real significant that we're talking about this. Now, I was reading a little bit of the background of Mr. Mm O'Ree, interesting character. He had been called up to the Boston Bruins to replace an injured player, and two years earlier it said he had been blinded when he was hit in the right eye by an errant puck, which would have precluded him from playing in the NHL if the Bruins had known that. He managed to keep that a secret and made his NHL debut with the Bruins January 18th, 1958 against the Montreal Canadiens becoming the first black player in league history. So, let's talk about the significance of that, Chris. Yeah,
2: so, yeah. Willie O'Ree, he took a slap shot from the point directly into his eye and it shattered his retina. And so, the surgeon suggested that he uh, not play. But, uh he has such a strong will and perseverance that weeks later he was out there on the ice playing and he kept it, he kept it a secret he actually uh, swore his family to secrecy <laughs> because uh, you know he wanted to play and and so uh, being out there on the ice was important for him.
0: I mean that's a pretty significant thing not to be able to see yes. completely when you're a hockey player. How did he get his start in hockey? Do you know his, his background a little bit? Well, well as far as I know uh,
2: Looking at his interviews, um, he started skating when he was two. Wow. And uh, I believe he actually started playing hockey when he was five years old. But he uh, started, I believe, to pursue professional hockey when he was 14. And uh, he credits his brother for encouraging him to uh, pursue hockey. But also um, being himself and uh, being who he is was uh, very important for um, Willie. Yeah,
1: and his brother was uh, significantly older, maybe 8 or 10 years older, if I recall right. So really, Mm -hmm. I think, a mentor as much as a brother. Oh, yes.
0: And so was it a a hockey family, essentially? Is that how they kind of got going, or was it just a kid who wanted to play hockey?
2: I'm not sure if it was a hockey family. You know, Matt probably would be able to um, say a little bit more, but I know he was... I mean, I I, I think it was, uh, based on my um, understanding, it's just a kid who wanted to play hockey.
1: Yeah, that's my sense, too, in his interviews and what has been written about him. I know he came from a very large family. It's not really uh, clear from what's out there in the written record how many of his siblings played hockey, Uh, but he talks a lot about playing from a young age and really just enjoying the sport in New Brunswick from a very early age until the time, like Chris said, when he he decides to go pro.
0: And as the first, essentially the first black player in the NHL, he ended up being the, the... person who received racist comments and things like that. So he wasn't necessarily well-received. Right.
2: That, that is correct. Yeah, it, it's, it's very interesting. Willie O'Ree talks about how he, when he played the first game for the Boston Bruins in 1959, he didn't know that he was the, or he didn't even think about being the first black player in the NHL. Uh, he didn't find out until he read the newspapers. That correct that he was the first black player in a, in a, in NHL. So it was. Yeah, th- this accomplishment was downplayed very much in a lot of ways, and uh, and he himself actually, during that time, downplayed the significance of race. He stated that uh, in Detroit, in Chicago, in New York, those were the worst. That was those were those were the places where he had the worst experiences of racism, racist slurs, name calling. he He talks about a story in Chicago when he was sitting in a penalty box, and fans would walk by and uh, they would they would spit at him or uh, use you know racial racially hostile and derogatory concepts to uh, describe him.
0: I know in one of the the stories that I read, it said during one game, there was a player who butt ended. O'Ree, that knocked out his two front teeth and mm-hmm. broke his nose. Yes. And O'Ree responded by hitting the guy, his name was Nestorenko, over the head with a stick, which O'Ree claims almost created a riot. And then that's when the fans called him racist names and that the Blackhawks players were threatening to kill him. And he yes. was luckily to give, even get out of the arena alive. Oh, yes. So some, some pretty tough stuff there.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think um, what's also telling is that on. In several interviews, O'Ree noted, I think he does tend to, to minimize or has minimized the role of racism, but he has remarked that he became far more aware of it once he started playing in the U.S. as opposed to ex- his experiences in Canada. And Chris is also correct in that it really didn't seem to make a as big a splash as you might think as far as his stance as the first black NHL player. I think part of that is because hockey has a lower profile than the other major sports. The fact that he made his debut in Montreal as opposed to within the United States at Boston, something like that, is um, also part of it. He did seem to be generally aware that he might be the first one to break the color barrier, though. Mm-hmm. You know, in his other conversations, he recalls talking with the general manager of the Bruins, and they're noting that this is a possibility, not as far as hyping it up, but just saying, look, if you concentrate on your game, can you continue to develop and hone your skills in the minors, then, you know, you'll probably get a shot. You know, there's a there's a story in earlier that season in September where the New York Times mentions that the Bruins are playing an an exhibition game with their farm club in Springfield and that O'Ree and another black player, I believe named Stan Maxwell, were playing. And, you know, so it did get a little bit of publicity. But then when the actual call-up to the NHL occurs, yeah, it's it's not really picked up and made to be, and, and hyped, I guess, as it might be later couple years later when he plays a full se- or a half a season with the Bruins in 6061 a couple of african-american newspapers pick up on that and reading those they mistakenly think that that's his debut it's like I think oh, the 50 really yeah I think mm-hmm. the earlier couple of games was probably something they weren't aware of mm-hmm
0: and one thing he commented on, he said that the racist remarks were much worse in the United States cities than in Toronto and Montreal, the two Canadian cities that hosted the NHL teams at the time, and fans would yell, go back to the South, and how come you're not picking cotton, things like that. Yes. He said, it didn't bother me, I just wanted to be a hockey player, and if they couldn't accept that fact, that was their problem, not mine.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, that, that's correct. Yeah, I mean, he he took on the persona or uh, or the embodiment of Jackie Robinson, in a lot of ways, right? Uh, Jackie was the uh, perfect figure or black player, baseball player, to uh, break the color barrier in baseball because of his his patience through the numerous epithets or uh, rac- uh, racially derogatory uh, words that we use uh, while on the playing field. And, and during this time, in order to be the first, it was best not to react to the hostilities of the crowd and even. Players.
0: Who, who was it that gave him his first break? Do you know? So um, it was it like a coach or a manager or something, or that that said, "Hey, I I've been watching you. You're good. Come on in." You know that was, I guess, brave enough since it hadn't been done before to do this.
2: I'm not. I'm not sure. We know. We know he was called up from the Quebec Aces to play. I mean, that's a good question, but I'm not sure which uh, manager and coach was responsible for bringing him uh, to the National Hockey League.
1: It sounds like Milt Schmidt, the GM for the Bruins at the okay. time was supportive and Schmidt himself as a Canadian of German heritage, you know, came up in the late thirties and nineteen forties and was part of what then was called the Kraut line. And prior to the Second World War there was some tension as far as how he and his line mates would have been received. I I'm not I'm just guessing, but mm-hmm. it may well be that he was at least somewhat sensitive to those issues. I think there's a lot more research mm-hmm. that could be done because it's an interesting question. Ari also mentions that his teammates were very supportive of him and you know mentions a lot of them by name and in Minnesota no one's going to know who they are but mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. Boston Don McKenney, Johnny Busick, mm-hmm. uh, Bronco Horvath you know he you know Re talks about a lot of these players as being very
2: supportive. Right.
0: what would you say is his overall contribution or impact that he has had on hockey?
2: Well right now he's in uh, I believe he's a diversity ambassador for the National Hockey League. And uh, over the past 25 years, what he's been doing, is he's been going to schools. He's been going to middle schools, elementary schools, high schools, YM and YWCAs, are also juvenile detention centers, to promote the game of hockey to underserved individuals and underserved communities.
0: One a statistic I saw that I thought that was really interesting. You were mentioned he was playing hockey back in the 1950s, yes. and there were no other black players in the NHL until another Canadian player, Mike Marson, drafted by the Washington Capitals in 1974. So that is a long yes. span of time.
2: Oh yes, yeah. Oh yes, yes, yeah, yeah. That, that is very long. I mean, it's uh, you know, there's still a paucity of uh, um, black players or people of color. In the National Hockey League, although it's growing, but there's still a, a small amount. I'll give you. Is this is a funny, a funny story? But I was, you know, I'm a hockey fan, and uh, you yeah. know, I would have worn my Blackhawks tie if he was.
0: And <laughs> <fun laughs> he's got no his manner. Bruins, okay. <laughs> so
2: he you know, know, we'd be all dressed, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> I know. Sorry, Minnesota Wild fans, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, my son, I was sitting down watching a Blackhawks Wild game exactly uh, with my son, and uh. And my son, who's four years old, looked at the television, and then he looked back at me, and he said, "He said, Daddy, how come there aren't any brown players on the ice?" It's like, "Wow, you're very perceptive." Oh, wow! <laughs> that's yeah, very perceptive. And so, uh, you know, uh, I got a good chuckle out of that. And uh, it, you know, how do you I,
0: explain that to him? You say, "Well, son."
2: Well, I, that's exactly what I said. Well, <laughs> son, and I left it at that because. <laughs> no explanation didn't know how to have that conversation right now but you know at this moment but you know it, it's it's just interesting you know that he was able to pick up on oh
0: yeah uh, for sure right away. I also saw it there's 23 black players in the NHL as of the mid 2010s so that's still not a lot compared with how many people mm-hmm. there are mm-hmm. what is it about hockey that do you think that deters maybe more people of color to be part of it
2: well, I used to joke uh, with my students. I would always say, uh, you know, I'm the only black professor who watches hockey. And, you really? Know, I would always say that to my students. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I grew up wa- watching hockey because I was, just a, I was just a sports fanatic when I was a kid. And I really enjoyed sports. Mm-hmm. And I just picked up. I tried to pick so- soccer, hockey, of course, the baseball, football, and basketball. And, you know, and I just tried to pick up on it. And uh, any sport that I can watch, I try to watch it and uh, and I just fell in love with the Blackhawks and the players from um, the 80s during that time and but yes, I probably was the only person in, in my neighborhood who did watch watch hockey.
0: I mean, it, was it offered there and no, it wasn't so no.
2: it's an expensive sport true one very it's very true. expensive and you know the core of hi- hockey is uh, is, is, is uh, white white people are white men so we don't like my son we don't see ourselves in hockey and so uh, we yeah it's it's not a sport that like basketball or baseball or football that we would most likely participate in.
0: And Matt you're interested in this from a historical perspective as well as being a huge fan.
2: Yeah
1: I, and also the Bruins are the first team that I remember watching as a kid largely because um, my dad's from South America and when he came to the states in the early 60s you know, he understood basketball. He didn't know a thing about baseball because Bolivia is in Andean South America, um, where they don't play it. You know, as opposed to Mexico, didn't understand American football. He warmed up to baseball to this day. I can't get him to watch a Pats game with me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but 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 hockey is kind of similar to soccer in that uh, it's a sport. It's a goal oriented sport possession game. And I I think the fact that back then the Bruins got in a lot of fights was something that didn't turn them away from it. But it was that association with soccer that kind of drew me to it. But I think, you know, like Chris is saying, representation is really important. And I think the the NHL understands that um, to grow the game, you know, you've got to try to increase participation and and just get people more involved where otherwise, you know, they just might not – not even have an interest. I might just right. not really think, hey, that's that's for me. You think I think there's definitely a lot more to be done, but you know, you see a lot of good stuff um, happening uh, both in Minnesota, certainly across the league. See a lot more Spanish language broadcasts with a lot of NHL teams. I didn't see that when I was growing up, right. certainly. So
0: mm-hmm. What other thoughts would you like to share with folks about this particular topic and, and what you would like them to know about Willie O'Ree?
2: Well, I mean, it's, uh, um, Willie O'Ree influenced a lot of players in NHL. Right now, there's a, a Hockey Diversity Alliance, okay. and, and these are uh, black, pa- black players, uh, black hockey players who are calling attention to the current racism or the, the kinds of racist uh, acts that p- still persist to this day. And and they've called on the NHL to help in promoting diversity. Players like Minnesota's own Matt Dumba is on there, and uh, Anthony DeClaire, I believe, uh, I believe Kadari is on there, Kadari. But um, these uh, Andre Miller, of the yep. Rangers, is from Minnesota. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Greenway, On Greenway, yeah, on the Wild. So, oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah, so they're they're players in currently who are calling attention to the acts of the racist acts that still persist in the game right now. Uh, and and you, Matt and I talked. You know, I was telling him that I read that only four. There are only four black players in the Hall of Fame.
0: Is that it? Really? For hockey. Yeah.
2: And I read wow. something else. You know, I don't know how, you know, I probably had to corroborate this. Less than 10 black players have actually lifted the Stanley Cup. And so the, the, the diversity in hockey is is needed, in racial diversity specifically. Uh,
0: it's interesting you mentioned about your son asking that question. What an astute question for him to recognize that. But a lot of times there's a disparity in economics with people of color, mm-hmm. and so therefore it's a very expensive sport as you said yes. so they may not even have the opportunity so how do we overcome that
2: that's a great question uh, you know um it's you know i i think it's going it's it's like everything it's a slow and patient process and you know there's always steady you know steady growth unfortunately in hockey the growth has been extremely slow mm-hmm. And uh, o- overcoming, you know, economic barriers are difficult, right? And, and you would hope that you know things improve, so that we can have, have more people participating in this great sport, which requires a lot of skill and a lot of technique. Uh, it's very fast. Right. I went up, and I one day I was walking in the All Seasons Arena, and I saw the Minnesota State Men's Hockey Team practicing. Cause I had my son there; he was um, doing ice skating. And I watched how fast they were. I was just amazed at how fast they were going back and forth. You know, it's a it's it's a great sport. But you know, representation, as Matt mentioned, matters, and that's that's important
0: How, but, how do you feel it compares with some of the other sports? I mean, it seems like you see a lot of black players or people of color in soccer or basketball, even in football. So mm-hmm. it seems hockey's significantly further behind. Is that an accurate statement, or am I? maybe not seen enough sports to know.
1: <laughs> well I think um it goes by probably a country by country basis. You know, if you look at the teams that traditionally participate in the Olympics, you've got Finland, Sweden, Russia, the Czech Republic, Canada, the United States. I'm just off the top of my head, I would assume that the United States would probably be the most demographically diverse of all of those countries. That's so correct i think that that's part of it certainly but i think that it's certainly possible i you know right before the pandemic uh buddy of mine in in columbus ohio asked me to play in a just you know beer league tournament in vegas so a they were really desperate for players you know (laughs) because i said uh, just tell them that the guy you're getting from minnesota isn't good because you know their expectations (laughs) should be (laughs) really low but but when i got there You know, there was a a practice session before our game, and it was really the most diverse group of players on ice that I've seen. So Mm -hmm. it is possible. I think really it's, um, and just to bounce Mm -hmm. off of what Chris said, part of it is just getting some of those stories out there. Willie O'Ree's story is really, I think, an exciting one, just particularly since he was playing with one eye over what was a very long career. He played until the end of the 1970s in the minors, Probably the only reason he didn't get picked up in the 67 expansion draft, which brought the North Stars to Minnesota, was because by the mid-60s, the story about his eye injury was out. And so, you know, he was looked at really by that point, unfortunately, as just damaged goods. But he still had a a hell of a career in the minors, largely on the West Coast through the 60s and 70s. So. His is a great story. Not too many people know about Mike Marson and Bill Riley, two players from Canada, two black players from Canada, who played for Washington in the mid '70s. You don't have an African American hockey player until Val James, who comes in 1981. For the Buffalo Sabers, and I think he played maybe for one other team too, in mm-hmm. addition to a bunch of minor league teams. Mm-hmm. So he was an enforcer. So he was a guy that was dropping the gloves with really any takers he would have. His experience was so bad that when he retired, he basically separated himself from hockey for a couple of oh. decades till he came back. Uh, and you know, and that's and the, so that's I think speaking to Black and. African American participation in the sport. Mm-hmm. You've got others, certainly. You know, I you know, think Minnesota has a, a very rich heritage mm-hmm. of, well, first, I think African American teams and players dating back a century, but also Native American players, too. Oh, yes. So we
2: just need to get those stories out. Who are out some there. of
0: the the ones that come up in, when you think of the, in Minnesota, some of those significant names or players that people mm-hmm. should know about?
2: Well, we, you know, we mentioned early on, uh, Matt mentioned uh, quite a, a few, Greenway and and um, Dumba, I mean, uh, outside of there, we have, you know, outside of Minnesota, there's Anson Carter, who was great, Joel Ward, Wayne Simeon, Devontae Smith Peely. There are a number of uh, excellent players, and those who uh, actually have done very well. P.K. Subad, how could I forget him, who have done excellent work as hockey players. mm -hmm.
0: You're both deans of colleges. Mm -hmm. You're both faculty. You mentioned before we went on the air that somehow you're incorporating this with your students yes. Talk a little bit about that How you're doing that And why it's important to do so
2: So uh, I, I taught a sports communication class
0: Oh, okay And
2: in one section actually We talked about Ray Emery Ray Emery was uh, a black you know, hockey player Who was a Goldie And uh, he tried to institute hip-hop culture Into the National Hockey League Oh my And so I'm talking about In terms of style, dress mm-hmm. uh, But uh, he went through some struggles Because of that and so I have my students, you know, work through understanding, you know, how race and gender and class and sexuality is essential in sports. They're not just playing a game, but there are these other dynamics that go on within the game and outside of the game, external to the game, that are also essential. Yeah, in my sports class, we go through all the sports, and and one of the one of the favorite topics is this Bray Emery, the whole. Um, I guess the entire the, the entire story around his uh, implementing hip-hop culture into hockey, bringing hip-hop culture to hockey, as has been done in the NBA through dress code and style mm-hmm. and um, the backlash he received because of it.
0: And how about you, Dr. Um, Weiser?
2: When I taught, I would usually
1: try to find some kind of interesting sports figure and use that as an angle to talk about some kind of important social issue or political event. So, A couple names that come to mind would be uh, Muhammad Ali, just becoming a very, very controversial figure as he first changed his name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali and then took very active stances on civil rights and the war in Vietnam. As far as hockey is concerned, I had a nice little unit in my foreign relations class. That's, That's my research area where I used some documents from the late 60s where Russian military authorities are really complaining and reading the riot act to their their comrades in uh, Czechoslovakia. It turns out that the Czechs had beaten the Russians in a really high profile tournament. And then we're using that as an excuse to just yell anti-Russian slogans back, really referencing the Prague Spring invasion of Czechoslovakia by the Soviet Union. So it was really the Czech victory over the Russians was a veiled way to protest against the Soviet invasion. And then um, I think the only other one that really comes to mind right now is kind of similar FC Barcelona, a famous Spanish soccer team, was really the personification of Catalonian resistance to the Franco dictatorship from about the... Well, from the 40s for the next three or four decades. So, cheering for Barcelona was a way to protest against the Franco dictatorship. So, I guess you could sum it up in saying that you can't take the politics out of sports.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to thank both of you. We have been talking with Dr. Matt Loiza and Dr. Chris Brown both deans here at Minnesota State University with an avid love of hockey, scholarly interest in history, sports, and race. And I want to thank you so much for your time, and especially bringing up this topic as we're in Hockey Week here in Mankato, the significance of the first black player in the NHL, Willie O'Ree, and his part in the Boston Bruins. And they are retiring his jersey Tuesday night, and retiring that number in a significant way to honor him. And just a very important piece in history. Thank you so much for bringing that to our attention and and discussing that today.
2: Thank you very much. We really appreciate this opportunity.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Karen.